0: election college episode 55 the democratic party splits into pieces and still wins
1: let's throw a political party face it the political scene sucks but did it always it's time for election college and class is in session now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith.
0: So Ben, 1948, you got Harry S. Truman. He's in the White House.
2: Yeah, doing his thing, being Mr. Truman. Uh, <laughs> not quite there by his own accord, I guess you could say, but he is the president one way or another.
0: Yeah, this is probably one of the craziest elections that keeps on coming up every four years. They keep on talking about it over and over again. So I would imagine most people know, of course, our listeners, they already know just about everything we're saying, right?
2: Uh, Of course, absolutely. And (laughs) I, I think that this election is like when you become a political reporter or a talk show host or something, they give you a manual. And like three chapters of it are just reminding you to talk about this election.
0: Right. (laughs) So you had Harry S. Truman. And I mean, come on, guys. He unlikely gets the vice presidential running mate nomination from FDR. FDR is only alive for what? Just over 80 days.
2: Yeah. Very short.
0: And he dies. Truman is sworn in. Mrs. Roosevelt's like, good luck, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and shortly thereafter, the United States is victorious. The United States in uh, allies are victorious in Europe and then later on in Asia. So you would think, oh my goodness, this guy is
2: really popular. Yeah. But what was interesting was it wasn't so much him that was, um, terribly popular. As it was Dwight Eisenhower, uh the general who, uh you know, the, the country had just won the war, had won World War II, along with their friends, of course. And everybody's like, yeah, General Eisenhower, if he can win a war, obviously he can run a country.
0: Right. So there's a group of people who are like, we like Eisenhower. Are they saying we like Ike by now?
2: I don't think. Well, maybe. Who knows?
0: We're just going to say we like Eisenhower and we recognize that later on he might be referred to as something else. So get off our backs. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there people are like, Hey, Dwight, be the nominee for the Republicans. And he's all about not doing that because (laughs) that's not cool. Right. For a soldier to be involved in politics.
2: Right yeah it's considered not dishonorable per se but uh certainly un unprecedented by his imagination what we know that he apparently didn't was that like half the beginning presidents were uh formerly generals um so it's not unprecedented but he made a statement that said it was so he pretty much is not a big supporter of the decision of his party to Enter his name into, like, every primary in the whole country that they could.
0: Right. So what do you do if you're a Republican at this point?
2: Well, I guess you could get, like, I don't know, 15 other people to run.
0: (laughs) Hey, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Seems
2: to be a good idea.
0: Yeah. So what the Republicans decide to do is they've got uh, just a buffet of of nominees to put forth. And really the front runner early on is the governor of Minnesota, Harold Stassen. Now he is more of a liberal in the Republican party at this point. So just keep that in mind.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You've also got like uh Thomas Dewey. We might've heard of him, Robert Taft from Ohio. I'm sure we've heard of him. Earl Warren, he's been around, but not really highly talked about. Douglas MacArthur, the general. Um, You know, he's a name we've seen before. Arthur Vandenberg of Michigan, he was a senator. And there's just all these people. And there's a couple more that don't even get listed because they didn't quite make it into the primaries. But there's like 15, it feels yeah. like 15 candidates running. You know what this sounds like, Ben? What's that? You know the Beach Boys? I
0: wish they all could be California girls. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Okay, I'm I'm not endorsing that song necessarily, but the Republican Party kind of sounds like the that at this point because they're like, you know, the Midwest conservative farmer uh-huh. <laughs> and and so on. It's just like this potpourri of ideologies that are represented. A Republican from New York like Dewey is gonna be a lot different than a Republican like the California governor, Earl Warren, which he certainly does come up later on in history is most certainly different than General MacArthur, uh, as well as Taft being so much different from, from the others. So this is really going to be telling to see what's going to happen to the Republicans really for the next half century.
2: Yeah. It's a definitely a huge spread that, well, you say half century, but in some ways the, the kind of split in ideology from furthest conservative Republican to furthest liberal Republican kind of hasn't healed itself at this point, but it certainly was a lot worse in certain points of our history. The, the kind of, you mentioned, uh, Stazen being the, or Stassen, I'm not sure how to say it, being the front runner. We also see Dewey coming back because Dewey was, if you remember the Republican nominee, uh, just four years before and he's kind of, out there and just had won the New York governorship again. He had been reelected and like a giant margin. So he's out there strutting the stuff and and people also know him pretty well because of his past. So what's he going to do? So really Taft
0: was the leader of the party's conservative wing. And that conservative wing was very strong in the Midwest as well as certain parts of the South. Taft was all about abolishing many of the New Deal welfare programs. He's like, hey, that's harmful to business. And he's really skeptical of the US's involvement in foreign alliances like the United Nations. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it, Ben?
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yep. The only thing with Taft was he was really dull. <laughs> <laughs> and he was viewed as being too conservative and controversial to win a presidential election.
2: You know, <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not going to comment on current day or anything, but... It certainly seems as though this country has had a history of people who have a lot of opinions that their party would agree with, but they're just not charismatic, so they don't get a chance. seems kind of unfair to me. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Personality definitely is something that is considered a virtue (laughs) on the campaign trail, especially.
2: You've got uh, Vandenberg and Warren. We mentioned both of them, and they're pretty popular amongst the people who have heard of them, at least. But they're both like, yeah, I don't really have time to campaign uh, in the primaries. So there are chances for the nomination. (laughs) Like if you don't campaign in the primaries and you don't win any primaries, like you might as well just forget it, right?
0: Right. So what ends up happening is it looks like there's a three-way tie between, or not tie, but deadlock between Dewey, Taft, and Stazen. And excuse me if I mispronounced his name earlier. So as we go to the election... The Republicans are trying to find a compromise. Hmm.
2: So how about General MacArthur, right? I mean, he's, he's a war hero. Sounds good to Uh, me. Uh, conservatives love him. Mm -hmm. The the problem is he's in Japan right now. Well, in this, in this year and he's serving as a pretty prestigious position, the supreme commander of the allied powers in Japan in 1948. Like if you don't, if you don't realize that's a huge deal.
0: Yeah. So he's busy doing his thing, essentially putting a country back together and looking after U.S. interests so he can't campaign. And that doesn't sit too well with anyone, because how can you show your charisma if you're not present?
2: Right. And he did, however, say that if he was nominated by the Republican Party, he would turn it down. and. So in turn, some of his supporters said, Oh, so you wouldn't do it if you got nominated. That's fine. We'll just go ahead and enter your name in the Wisconsin primary anyway. And so needless to say, uh, General MacArthur is kind of pretty much out of the race.
0: Yeah. So you've got Stazen. He is a liberal. He's from Minnesota. And it's kind of interesting. He had actually been elected the governor of Minnesota when he was 31 years old. He resigned just a few years later to serve in the Navy and illustrating his liberal stance on some of the issues. He actually serves on the committee that created the United Nations in nineteen forty
2: five. Yeah, so he gets a lot of criticism from the Republican Party, obviously. He just he's a little vague on certain issues that are really important to a lot of people. And the issues he's not terribly vague on, he's pretty liberal, like Jason said. So it comes kind of down to um Stazen really blowing people away during the Wisconsin primary. He just completely destroys Uh, And basically eliminates MacArthur, which they're fine with, which Mm -hmm. he's fine with because he doesn't want to run anyway. And then he defeats Dewey in the Nebraska primary. So all of a sudden, Stazen's this guy who's like in the front, totally in the front.
0: Yeah, but Taft is like, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't going to beat me on my turf. So Stazen loses to Taft in Ohio, which is where Taft is from. Stazen thinks that he can beat him, but he's way off. and. The conservatives are all about getting him out of the picture.
2: Right. So at this point, the party is kind of, kind of against Dazen because he really went hard against Taft and he's starting to lose a little bit of popularity, but he's still going strong against Dewey and goes pretty hard against him in Oregon. So Dewey,
0: him being the big governor of a huge Eastern state being New York decides I'm going to fire the big guns. I am going to go all out, spend a ton of money in Oregon and really get rid of Stasen as a contender. So they have this debate and it's actually the first ever radio debate between presidential candidates. And the sole issue of the debate was to either outlaw the communist party or to say, no, they have a right to exist. And it's kind of crazy because you would think Stazen being a liberal would be in favor of letting the communist party exist. But he was like, no, they should be outlawed. And Dewey's like, uh, uh-uh, no, you can't shoot down an idea with a gun. So hands down, Dewey wins the debate and it's time to head back across the country to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for the 1948 Republican National Convention.
2: Okay, so we're in Philadelphia. It's the Republican National Convention. It is the first presidential convention to be shown on national television, and the world is excited. Well, at least the United States is excited. <laughs> uh, and uh, maybe not everybody because it's, it's still 1948, so not everybody has a TV. But anyway, still, it's exciting.
0: Right. So Dewey is believed to have had a huge lead in the delegate count, and his major opponents, Taft, Stazen, and Vandenberg, decide, hey, guys, we need to meet. We need to stop Dewey. And the only problem with that was, it's kind of like saying, hey, Ben, let's form an alliance. And then we just can't agree on what the alliance should look like. So, Oops.
2: Right, it's like if three countries got together and said one of us needs to take over the world so that someone else doesn't and then all three of them think it should be them. Uh th- how do you agree on that? It doesn't really work out. So they are pretty much unable <laughs> to come up with a good reason for people to stop Dewey. Uh so it's kind of futile their their little effort there in the hotel room.
0: Yeah, so the votes happen and the first round Dewey doesn't get enough votes. They vote again. Dewey is still short. Taft calls Stazen and is like, I am going to withdraw from the race and endorse Stazen. Stazen refuses. This gets really convoluted. (laughs) Anyway, there's just a lot going back and forth between the alliance to defeat Dewey and it ends up backfiring. And Dewey is the candidate.
2: Yep. Absolutely. Um almost I, I think it kind of came down to not even having a vote at the end of things.
0: Yeah, it's pretty unanimous yeah. after all of the divisiveness.
2: Hey Jason, you ready to talk about the uh the other side of the aisle?
0: Yeah. Did they ha did they call it the aisle then? I mean like was there an aisle in the in the forties? I'm pretty sure there was. It was just probably not as crazy different back then as it is true. now. That's true. Okay. So you know what? It's nineteen forty eight. If you're going to have a political convention, why not have it in Philadelphia? Yeah. So the Democrats are like, we really had a rough go at the midterms. Um, Republicans are in control of both houses. They've got a majority of the governors. And we've got this president who isn't very popular.
2: Yeah, a lot of the public opinion polls are just showing Truman getting trounced by Dewey. And, I mean, I'm not just talking a few points and, you know, the whole uh, (laughs) the whole margin of error stuff that we kind of made fun of previously. But we're talking like eh, at least 10 to 20 points difference. And it's not looking real good for Truman. So the party starts kind of getting nervous and, you know, scratching their heads a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting because... At this point, Truman's like, hey, Dwight Eisenhower, hey, will you be my running mate? Or, no, I'm sorry. Truman was like, hey, Eisenhower, and this is back in 1947, if you run for president on the Democratic ticket, I will be your VP.
2: So the current president offers to run as the future vice president in an unprecedented move.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like, that just goes to show you how unpopular... He even thought he was.
2: Right. And of course, Eisenhower declines the, the offer. Uh He's not real keen on the idea.
0: Yeah. And so the Democratic Party bosses, they're like, okay, we need to dump Truman. Uh, we need to get a more popular candidate. So that's what they do. They start thinking of names. They think of Jacob Arvey. He is the head of the Cook County uh, Democrats. They thought of Frank Haig. He was the boss of New Jersey. They even thought of James Roosevelt, who is the eldest son of
2: FDR. And James Roosevelt's like, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, he would have been kind of a shoe in, not, maybe not a shoe in, but definitely would have won a lot of people over just because of his lineage, I suppose. Mm-hmm. They also tried to put forward uh, William O. Douglas. He was a Supreme Court justice. And Douglas is like, oh, okay, thanks for considering me, but no, I don't, I don't want to do it either. I, I've got a lifetime job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do you give that one up?
0: Yeah. So there's all kinds of division happening in the Democratic party at this point. And there really wasn't an acceptable candidate who really emerged as the cream of the crop. So the leaders are like, okay. Throughout the Dump Truman movement, and we're going to support him.
2: So we move on to the convention, and uh, at the the DNC, Truman. We know that Truman's all about civil rights, and he really proposes this this platform of civil rights reform that wasn't as radical as he had expressed previously, um, but certainly that brought a lot more civil rights into the arena. That had been seen previously.
0: Yeah. He ends up ticking off the Northerners, uh, the Northerner, the Northern liberals, that is, who said your policies aren't going far enough. And he really ticks off the Southern conservatives who are like, Hey, wait a second. You cannot do away with segregation. You know, it was Truman who. Uh, desegregated the military and the Southerners were like, uh, no.
2: Yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't really be in favor of that. Thank you very much, but no, thank you. And the Southerners are, are pretty upset because they just know that any kind of civil rights reform is going to ultimately just change their way of living and they're going to have to please, please help us let People of other colors in the same restaurants as they go to. And so Truman knows that if any kind of civil rights stuff is proposed here, a lot of the Southern delegates, they're leaving. They're going to protest it.
0: Right. So in the convention, the Democrats decide we are going to make the civil rights issues a part of the platform. And this causes three dozen Southern delegates led by South Carolina governor Strom Thurmond to actually walk out of the convention.
2: That's crazy. Uh, I mean, we know about sit-ins, we know about walkouts, but it's kind of, it's just really so foreign for me. It's not unbelievable, of course, but so foreign for me to think that people would leave their party that they say they believe in because they have to give rights to another human being. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. So you've got these
0: Southerners. They actually um, form a splinter party called the Dixiecrats. Uh, they're off doing their thing. You've got the liberal faction splitting off, and they call themselves the Progressive Party. And enter onto the scene Henry A. Wallace.
2: Okay, yeah, so Henry A. Wallace comes in, and he's previously been the Secretary of Agriculture. He's been the Secretary of Commerce under Roosevelt. Oh, by the way, he's also been the <laughs> Vice President before. Uh, <laughs> he's the guy, if you remember, back in 1946, uh Harry Truman basically kicks him out and says, you're not the Secretary of Commerce anymore because you opposed me. Sorry.
0: Bye. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this guy was one quarter of a year away from being the president of the United States. Talk about a tough break. <laughs> he,
2: <laughs> I mean, maybe he was a little bit consacrous, but he was probably just standing up for what he actually believed. And they're like, no, nah, you're out. Oh, and by the way, you could have been president.
0: Yeah. And oh, by the way, you could have been the president. And now, just a few years later, you are a part of a party that's controversial because many people believe that they're secretly controlled by communists who were more loyal to the Soviet Union than the United States.
2: And if you know much about, oh, history at all in the last hundred years, you know that being secretly accused of, or being accused of being secretly a communist does not go well for you typically, right. especially during the, uh, this cold war era. Right. Right.
0: It was even said that he was quoted as saying "As quote, communists are the closest thing to early Christian martyrs.
2: Yeah, that didn't sit well with a lot of people and probably doesn't now either. No. Yeah. So
0: Wallace is the man who is running for the progressive nomination. So we have on the right end of the Democratic Party delegates leaving. We have on the left. End of the Democratic Party people leaving. Are you ready to talk about the campaign?
2: I think that would be appropriate. So Truman, he's just not that popular anymore. He knows it. He knows the party has split. He knows that Dewey is an unstoppable machine and pretty much he's just kind of, kind of discouraged. And the Republicans are really, really encouraged.
0: Yeah. I mean, Truman has to be out there being really scrappy and pulls no punches at all. You know, that's the whole thing of I'm just wild about Harry. That was his campaign song and uh-huh. uh, give him hell Harry. You know, it was go, go, go get him. Meanwhile, Dewey is like, I'm not going to really speak to any issues specifically. I'm just the man for the job and you need to elect me and the future looks great. Because you're an American and you're awesome and you're going to do great things because you're an American and you're awesome and you're going to do great things. He just didn't dive into
2: any real issues. Right, and Dewey had a lot to say, and he had a lot of ideas and things he was passionate about, but he was just – he was told, don't say anything. So somebody actually summed up his his campaign as, no presidential candidate in the future will be so inept that four of his major speeches can be boiled down to these historic four sentences. And here they are. Agriculture is important. Our rivers are full of fish. You cannot have freedom without liberty, and our future lies ahead. (laughs) So they really encouraged him to speak in platitudes, and that's exactly what he did. And unfortunately, that's really popular.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, you got President Truman. He's he's scrapping. He's like, okay, what do you do if you're an unpopular president and the House and the Senate are controlled by the other party? You go after them. So he's calling the Republican-controlled Congress as the, quote, do-nothing Congress. And he's going after... Uh, these congressional leaders like uh, Senator Taft and Dewey's chilling. He's like, we are Americans. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and we're going to do great things.
2: Right. So things are trucking along and Dewey's leading everything <laughs> as, as expected by everyone until there's this point in time where all the theaters in America pretty much agree to play these two little campaign films. And basically, you know, there'd be a, a little commercial that we would see now, Um, but from the two-party candidates, the two major candidates.
0: Yeah, and so Dewey's campaign film was very polished. It was very high budget. It's kind of like if you're driving down an old country road and you see a sign that says, Tomatoes for sale, up ahead, and it's a very nice sign, and then it's professionally done, and it looks sharp, but you're thinking, Yeah, but I want my tomatoes from a farmer. And you got (laughs) Truman, whose video is very low budget, is rough, and not quite as professionally done. But that's kind of like the sign that's hand-painted. And it looks like the farmer actually painted the sign that said, tomatoes. I'm going to buy my tomatoes from the farmer who hand-painted the sign. Good analogy, Ben?
2: I think it's a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> the only difference is the farmer probably really wants to sell you some tomatoes. And in this instance, <laughs> uh Truman was just like, Oh, well, just, just throw something together. I don't care. I don't even have, I don't even worry about it right now. Uh But yeah, other than that, it's a great analogy. I think Truman's gaining though, after this, he, people see him as approachable. Now they see him as a, uh, get your hands dirty. We really, we really sympathize with this guy. And that's kind of crazy because there was nothing he did to show them that.
0: Right. So there's this lag between what's happening in the country about sentiment towards Truman. The press misses it. I mean, they are saying we are endorsing. It was like 80 something percent of the newspapers were like, well, of course. I'm sorry. I need to correct myself because I just found the actual percentage. It was 78% of the nation's newspapers were like, yeah, Dewey, of course. And, uh, Alistair Cook, you remember him, uh, from the UK, he actually published an article on the day of the election and it was, it was called Harry S. Truman, a study of a failure and news coverage was just all about Dewey defeating the failure. Of Truman,
2: right, so it's it's bad because, like Jason mentioned, there's this lag, and so the results they're publishing are like two weeks old by the point they're coming out. Now we see the Gallup polls, and they are maybe at most they're gonna be twenty four hours lag, if not instantaneous, like they just finished a survey, it's published, um but at this point, they didn't have that, so everybody's predicting Dewey's gonna win, and guess what, even Truman thinks he's gonna lose. Uh, he heads back to Independence, Missouri, and <laughs> sits around waiting for the election and A lot of the people in his in his party and his cabinet are taking up other jobs um, Most of the people who are with him don 't think he 's going to win the reporters don 't think he 's going to win, and um, things start coming in with all the results,
0: yeah, so it 's kind of funny because Truman you know hey i 'm going to lose right he does this thing, goes to bed, wakes up every now and then, checks on the results and is like, huh, I might, ah, this, this is looking good. So at 4 a.m., he wakes up and hears on the radio, uh, that his lead is nearly 2 million votes. <laughs> so he's like, uh, let's go back to Kansas city because it looks as though we're in for another four years. Meanwhile, Dewey is up all night following things and he's like oops <laughs> yeah
2: oh yeah Dewey around ten thirty in the morning finally realizes okay I'm gonna lose I've lost uh and like at eleven fourteen he sends a telegram of concession to Truman. Here's the crazy part, Jason like every newspaper in the country earlier you said you know that everybody was endorsing Dewey and picking him for the win, they actually go a little further and they they start printing up articles and newspapers and running stuff off the press like crazy that says things like, oh, I don't know, Dewey defeats Truman. <laughs> and there's this famous picture of, of Truman holding the the newspaper that says Dewey defeats Truman. He's got a big smile on his face because, of course, that didn't happen. But. It's so, I mean, I think they have many things nowadays prepared ahead of time in case one or the other happens. I know with the Super Bowls, they have shirts printed up for either team already, so you can buy them the next day. But very rarely does a newspaper come out printed far and wide with the absolute wrong headline for a presidential race on it.
0: Right. Yeah. So just about everybody in the press has egg on their face over this and Really showed how out of touch the press was with the general public. And you think about it, the general public, they're thinking at this point, well, under a Democrat, we won a war. We got out of a great depression and things are looking pretty good. The last Republican, well, we got into a depression and I remember that I'm, I'm totally okay with voting for Truman because he's going to continue some of these policies that have made my life better. And the press missed it.
2: Big time. They missed it for sure. Uh, so needless to say, Truman wins. Uh, I think we already said that actually, but Truman wins. Uh, Alvin Barkley is the vice president and uh, he beats Dewey by a little over 4%, about four and a half percent actually. So Strom Thurmond coming in strong with to almost two and a half percent of the national vote, which uh, it sounds like I'm mocking that, but that's respectable. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Wallace got just under, uh, 2.4%. So it's kind of interesting there because the, the right wing of the Democratic party that split off beat out the left wing of the Democratic party that split mm-hmm. off just by a, a small margin, but. They were still there, still making history, and we're still talking about it decades later.
2: I think we should keep talking about it, but we've gone a little long on this episode, so let's continue the conversation on social media. You can uh, do that on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram pages. Um, Just look up Election College on any of those and shoot us a message saying what you think about the episode, uh, what you think about this crazy, most interesting election (laughs) almost ever.
0: Hey, and if you've hung in there long enough to hear us give this spiel, surely you have about 30, 45 seconds to hit in your web browser, electioncollege.com slash review, and leave us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate that. We love reading your comments.
2: You got it, Jason. All right, I think that's everything for today. Uh, We'll talk to you next time. Maybe about an amendment or something. Yeah.
0: Sounds good. We'll see you later.
1: This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.
0: Our kids have said to us since we've moved to
2: Minnesota, we are far more active
0: than we've ever been anywhere else
2: we've ever lived.